everyone. It's good to be with you again and to continue bringing us together into one of the great letters of Paul, the letter 1 Thessalonians. We'll be looking at chapter 2, verses 7 through 12 today. So I invite you to go ahead and turn there in your own Bible or perhaps like most of my students do, click there on your own phone. Um, but we're going to be looking at this passage. But before we uh, do, I want you to think about something. How did you get here today? Most of you are probably thinking a car. <laughs> perhaps you are close enough you could walk or perhaps you took a bus, but you got here um, by some mode of transportation. But that's not what I mean. I meant how did you end up wanting to be here today? Why is it that, that you are here in this building, in this sanctuary, this place where you are going to be hearing about Jesus? What I imagine is that if we were to listen to each other's reasons, why you're here, that the thing that we would ultimately realize is that we are here not because primarily we were convinced intellectually, but that as a part of each and every one of our stories, I bet we would hear of how the gospel came to us relationally and how it was a loving father, a faithful friend, a praying grandmother, a kind member in a local church that, that all of us here today probably have somebody or multiple people who brought to us not just the content of the gospel, didn't just give us the knowledge of Jesus, but embodied to us the love of Jesus that made us want to listen, that made us want to know him. And the power and the importance of that dynamic of the gospel is what Paul is reflecting on in this passage that we're looking at today. Let's now listen to Paul as he speaks about this reality in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Again, I'll start in verse 7 and read through verse 12. This is God's word. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom in glory. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And it is right for us to pause and pray that he might help us to understand. Please pray with me in your hearts. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to yet again meet with you and out of your love to know that you are exhorting us and encouraging us 
to live in light of your glory and to live for your kingdom. May these words burn truth into our heart, that it would live boldly in our lives. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. I recently read a news story about a missing woman. She was a part of a group of tourists that were in a remote part of Sweden that were doing kind of an ecological hike and seeing different parts of the the beauty of the the wilderness that exists in that part of the country. And uh, at the end of the day, as they were coming back from this landscape that was filled with canyons and filled with all these different dynamics of being in the wilderness, they realized that someone was missing. And so, as you can imagine, as they realized that someone was missing, they began to to split up into groups, and they spent hours and hours searching for this missing person. But then they found her. They found her in a place that they never would have expected. They found her in the midst of the search party. She was one of them searching for herself. They thought all along that they were searching for someone who was right there with them, searching to. They didn't realize that what they were looking for was right there with them. You probably have had this experience. You're looking for your glasses. You realize they're on your head. You're looking for your keys and you realize they are in your hand. Sometimes in life, there's things that are right there with us that we don't really see. We miss it. And we do that in Christianity. Sometimes there's things in Christianity that we don't realize that are right there with us. We miss them. And because we miss them, we miss something that is key and something that is vital. Sometimes I think this happens in the way that we think about how the gospel goes forward how it is that people come to understand Jesus. I deal with this reality every beginning of the school year. As I work in campus ministry at NC State, and as I think about 6,000 students that are flooding onto the campus as freshmen, I think, how in the world am I going to, this one little guy, engage with all these students? What is it that I have to offer them when there's all these other things on a college campus that are a lot more exciting than sitting down for a small group Bible study? How is it that I can reach these students? Sometimes we think that in terms of our own relationship with our neighbors. How is it that that they're ever going to become Christians? Or how is it that they will ever come to believe Jesus when they probably think that what I believe is so regressive, so offensive, so backwards, maybe even so hateful? Why would they even want to come with me to church And as Paul is writing this letter, he's dealing with with kind of a group like this, a small group of people that are part of a church in, in a culture that did not think that Christianity was worthwhile, that thought it was bizarre. And as Paul is writing these Thessalonians, these Thessalonians are beginning to have doubts about what they even heard from Paul. There was this group of people that had come in after Paul and said, listen, Paul really didn't care about you. All that he was really trying to do was profit off of you. He just wanted your money. He just wanted your love. His, he was wanting to grow his followers. He didn't really care about you. 
And in this passage, Paul is is dealing with this challenge to the authenticity of his ministry while also trying to help the Thessalonians to understand how as this little small church, they can make a ginormous impact on people. And so what Paul is doing in this section that we looked at is trying to help build up the confidence of the Thessalonians in the gospel that he proclaimed to them, but in also the way that they continue to proclaim that gospel. And so that's why in verse 10, he uses court language. In verse 10, he says, You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Paul is using court language, talking about testimonies and witnesses, because he wants them to see that what is the testifying reality to the truth of what he said was the manner of his life, was the way that he lived among them. He wants them to be able to challenge the doubts that are in their heart, to challenge the doubts that are in their mind by pulling back and remembering what it was like to be around the Apostle Paul. To be around him and to remember, was he someone that seemed like he wanted something from us? Was he someone that that looked like he was just out to get something from us? And so Paul says, let's think about it. Let's go back. How was it that I was around you? What was the manner in which I lived amongst you? And so he says this in verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil that we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Now Paul here says that, listen, think about the way that I lived not just to you Thessalonians, or among you Thessalonians, but for you Thessalonians. How did I live for you? Paul says, remember, for you, brothers, the toil that I did night and day on your behalf, that I wouldn't be a burden to any of you. And there Paul is thinking about how when he came to the Thessalonians, they didn't pay him a penny. He didn't ask any money from them. In fact, what he did is is what he did often in any of the places that he went. He set up shop. He was a tent maker, as you may know by trade. And, And every time he would come to a city, he would set up shop and he would make tents. And he would work during the day building tents, which created opportunities to get to know people as people came to him to to use his skills and labors. But that also provided him the resources to provide for his own needs so that at night he could then go and he could speak to people about Jesus. And Paul says, I did this because I did not want to be a burden to you. Now, perhaps when you think about that aspect of being a burden, you you may resonate in the way that I initially think, which is, is, I don't like to be a burden on people. And so like when I'm carrying some stuff on campus, sometimes I'll be like overwhelmed by the amount of stuff I'm carrying into like our large group meeting. And someone will stop and say, do you want help? And instinctively I say, no, I really do want their help. (laughs) But I don't like that idea of being a burden. But that's not what Paul has in mind. It's not that he didn't want to be a burden because he didn't want to impose on them or didn't want them to think that he was needy. The reason that Paul did not want to be a burden to them is because Paul wanted to embody to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't just trying to be self-sufficient because that was a value that he had. 
But Paul was wanting in the entire manner of his life and ministry and presence in the Thessalonians to live out the gospel in word and deed. And so Paul worked night and day on their behalf so that that he could be always giving to them. So that he could be providing for them out of the abundance of himself in his caring for his own needs, but in also freeing up himself to be able to care for their needs. And in doing this, what is he doing but embodying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the gospel is a free offer of grace. The gospel is something that is given freely to people. The gospel is the story of the one who comes into this world and says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Paul did not want to create a burden on people when he's telling them about the one who takes burdens away from people. Paul didn't want to charge them when he knows the words of Jesus, who says, like for instance, in the book of Revelation, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. He's proclaiming to them a Savior that gives himself away. And he knew that to ask for money, to demand of them money to hear the gospel, would undermine the nature of the gospel itself. Now, this isn't to say that that we, when we gather together, shouldn't ask for tithes for the church, or, or I live off of the donations of others. It's not that Paul has a problem with people supporting ministry, but Paul is very thoughtful in saying that when you're sending someone out to proclaim the gospel, you don't want to send them out with pay me first mentality. You don't want to send them out with a sense of, I need to get from you in order for you to get from me because that undermines the proclamation of the gospel. And so Paul is wanting to embody the nature of the gospel in the way that he ministers. The way that he lived around the Thessalonians was a way that reflected what he was teaching them about Jesus. And so Paul here is showing us the importance of the life of the messenger as a way to testify to the truth of the message. The life of the messenger shows the trueness of the gospel. And you get this intuitively that, that, you know, if you live a good life, it can make your message shine. But it's not just a generic good life that Paul has in mind, but he has a particular focus thinking intentionally about the way that he lives. And so in verse 10, when he speaks of his conduct toward you believers, Paul isn't just talking about being nice keeping his nose clean and out of trouble so that no one would say anything bad about him. But he's thoughtfully thinking, how can the manner of my life embody the gospel? Paul is bringing together here in a sense what what sometimes we don't get in thinking about how we live out the gospel. You know, I do this in my neighborhood. In my neighborhood, sometimes, you know, when I'm getting frustrated or angry with my kids and I'm outside and I'm tempted to yell, what I think is, well, I don't want the neighbors to hear that. Because <laughs> then they're going to hear the pastor yelling and they're going to think, well, obviously, <laughs> that, that tells me something about Christianity. And so it'd be easy for me to think I just need to be the nice neighbor, right? And what am I doing there? I'm really just trying to play defense, <laughs> I don't want to create a cause for someone to think poorly about me and so perhaps poorly, therefore, about the gospel. 
But then there's another dynamic that sometimes we think about. We sometimes think, well, how can we uh, compellingly tell someone about Jesus? How can I help one of my neighbors who I have conversations with to, to come to believe that, that what I'm offering him is good when, when the conversations that we have with this particular neighbor or, or how he thinks that the church is immoral because of our view of sexuality? How is it that I can outlogic him or, or demonstrate to him the truthfulness of the claims? And that's what we usually do. We kind of keep those two things in separate categories, defense and offense. How can we make sure that we're not messing things up? <laughs> or how can we convince people? But I think what's important of what we see here in Paul is he thinks holistically about how the gospel goes forth. He doesn't just think about being nice as a way to prevent people from thinking poorly about him or Jesus. And he doesn't just think about thoughtful, creative ways to convince people about Jesus. But he brings those things together into one. And he thinks, how can my whole life be about the proclamation of the gospel? And this is what he does in verse 8. He says in verse 8, So being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves, because you had become very dear to us. Not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves. And that word ourselves in Greek is the Greek word psyche. Psyche, which we get psychology. Psyche, which is often translated soul. So do you see what Paul is saying? Is I'm not just thinking about sharing the words, the gospel, but I'm thinking about sharing the very essence of me with these people. I want me, as I come into their life, to be an embodiment of the gospel so that I give my whole self to them, body and soul. And what Paul is doing here is helping us to see that the nature of Christian ministry is not imparting information, but imparting ourself. It's not seeking to just convince people or to not make a problem, but to, in their presence, be the manifestation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what ministry is supposed to be like. This is what reaching out to our neighbors is supposed to look like. This is what pointing our children to Jesus is supposed to look like. This is what gospel ministry is supposed to be like. Sharing not just the gospel, but ourselves. This is the pattern that, that God even demonstrates to us. I mean, think about Jesus. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Think about how He didn't just communicate to us revelation, but He Himself is our revelation of the love of God. He could have just sent us divine writings that tell us everything that we need, but no, He wanted to embody those truths and came into this world. And the power of the gospel exists in that embodiment 
We are not saved by our knowledge of the teachings of Jesus. We are not saved by conforming to the morality that's demonstrated in Jesus. We are saved by Jesus in the way that he gave us for himself body and soul. And Paul sees that and says, well, if I am saved that way, the way that other people will be saved is by me being like that. Me embodying to them the gospel, body and soul. And he does this out of a sense, as he says, an affection, a desire, a love for them so that that it impacts the way that he relates to them. So he describes it in in beautiful language in verse 7. He says, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Paul there draws on the picture of a nursing mother and how she conforms her life to the needs of her child. I remember this. I remember my wife waking up in all hours of the night to to care for her children and how tired she was, but she just relentlessly would give herself to these children that she loved, giving her heart to them and her body to them. And Paul says, that's what I was like with you. Now, is this just because Paul's just a really great guy? He's a really nice guy. He's really sweet and loving. No, but don't you understand that Paul is doing that not because of Paul, but because of God? What does God say in the book of Isaiah about his own heart? He says, can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even that nursing mother may forget her child, but I will never forget you. God says, that heart that you see in a nursing mother, I have that heart even more for you. This is the same heart that we see in Jesus when he's looking over the city of Jerusalem, knowing that it's about to kill him. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stones the prophets and those that are sent to it, how often I would gather you as a children, gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you are not willing. Jesus has that same heart of the Father to to gather like a mother her children close by to watch over them and protect them, to give his life that they might have life. That's the heart of the Father. That's the heart of the Son. And that's the heart that Paul says, I wanted to embody to you. He didn't create this method for reaching the Thessalonians. He said, what is the heart of God like towards me? And how can I show that heart to the Thessalonians, to those that I'm around? Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians was not about gaining wealth or gaining followers or gaining anything from them, but giving himself heart and soul to them out of a true love. And Paul continues this familial image in speaking to the Thessalonians to describe the nature of his ministry by also drawing in the picture of a father. And so he says, starting in verse 11, For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul was gentle with them, like a nursing mother. But that doesn't mean that Paul didn't ever say anything that may have challenged them or may have been hard for them to hear. 
Sometimes we can get the thought that, that we need to be really kind and nice, but being kind and nice doesn't communicate the gospel completely or sufficiently. We're called to preach the gospel and we need to use words. They are necessary. And so Paul here in verse 11 draws the image of a father to be able to explain how he did what he did in verse 2, how he was able to be boldly ministering to them, to say words that felt like a challenge, to say words that would make them uncomfortable. But he does it in the same heart of that nursing mother, with a heart of a father who seeks to bring his children up in wisdom. And you who have been fathers, or even you who have been pet owners, know how tiring it can be to discipline, how tiring it can be to teach something the way it should go. And I know as a father how easy it is to just let things slide out of my own desire to just be comfortable or to take it easy. And that's not to say there isn't wisdom in focusing the words of our discipline or our energy on particular areas and letting others go to the side. But a good father, a good mother, gives themselves for the good of their child, in both providing for them and in guiding them. And often that's in words that those children may not want to hear. And often it's in ways that are, are costly. I've come to realize that discipline hurts as much to parents <laughs> as it often does to children. And Paul here is giving us a full-orbed glimpse of what ministry looks like, that, that in going into a person's life, that is inviting us to sacrifice of ourselves in love and care, giving to them, not to receive, but out of love. And that's also going to cause us to make them at times feel uncomfortable with the words that we say. As we boldly proclaim to them the nature of God. But even in this, again, Paul isn't coming up with some methodology out of thin air, but he is still embodying the character of God. He is still embodying the nature of Jesus. We see Jesus in his gentleness bring in the tax collectors and to eat with sinners, right? But who does he also eat with? The Pharisees. You continue to see Jesus engaging with the Pharisees again and again and again throughout the Gospels. He never said to them, oh, these are toxic people. <laughs> They're gaslighting me. I'm just going to cut them out of my life. But out of the love that Jesus had for the Pharisees, he challenged them. He exhorted them. He said hard words to them because they were hard of hearing. But always out of that same tender, gentle heart of love. And so as Paul is thinking about his ministry, he's, he's not thinking, how do I create a, a great strategy to be able to reach the Thessalonians? All he's doing 
is seeking to embody in the manner of his life the gospel of Jesus. And the beautiful thing is this is the same Jesus that we know, the same Jesus that, that we see, and the same Jesus that this world needs to see. And it's easy in the changing currents of culture to begin to think we've got to come up with a new way. We've got to come up with a new strategy. And it's not that there isn't wisdom to being thoughtful in the way that we reach out to people. But the manner of our ministry will always be most effective when it is centered around the man who saves us. When it reflects Jesus. Because that is what we need to see. That's what the world needs to see. Do you know why it is that they had that search party for the missing woman and that she was a part of it? The reason why is because she changed clothes. She changed clothes after the hike, and they didn't know her well enough to not recognize her face. They didn't know her well enough to know her name. All they knew was that she was the woman who had the, the red jacket on. And so when she took it off, they thought she was gone. What makes Paul's ministry powerful and what can make our ministry powerful is when we know Jesus so deeply that we don't miss him. And when people see in us Jesus so clearly that they don't miss him. Our circumstances can change. Our culture can change. But is Jesus still seen clearly in us? Paul is helping the Thessalonians to see that because you saw Jesus in the manner of my ministry, you know that what you heard was him, not me. You know what you heard was true, because he is truth. And so therefore, we as believers always have what we need to effectively reach people. Because we have Jesus. Just a couple quick points of application for our neighbors, our children, and ourselves. If COVID taught us anything, <laughs> and I hope it taught us a lot. It taught us how important personal connection is. We have a world that is dealing with greater levels of anxiety. I see it in my students because they lost personal connection. And this reinforces to us the importance of embodying the gospel. And in particular, I want you to think about how hospitality as a church is a beautiful way that we embody the gospel. How is it that you will get your neighbor to come to grace? It's by first having them in, their, in your home. 
then how is it that you can have them into their home? It's by first getting into their life, knowing their name, knowing what's weighing on them. I pray for particular neighbors, particular things, because I've gotten to know my neighbors. And those neighbors know that I'm praying for them. Do you know your neighbors well enough that you are praying for them in particular ways? And do they know you well enough that they know you're praying for them too? Do they trust you enough that they want to come into your home? If they do, then they probably would trust you well enough to come into your church too. Second, sharing the gospel happens in our home. And that means that we don't just try to communicate the content of the gospel, but also the character of the gospel. I see the negative impact of the one-sided nature of sharing the gospel in lives of students who grew up in homes where they were brought to church, where they were taught the Bible, where they were taught good theology, but that content was disconnected from the character of Christ. If our children don't experience Jesus in us, they're not going to want the Jesus that we tell them about. Lastly, the beautiful thing about what Paul demonstrates to us is that we have what we need to be equipped for ministry. We have what we need to reach our neighbors. We have what we need to reach this city and this world because we have Jesus. But the challenge for us is are we looking for him? Are we missing what is right there with us because we don't see him? Are we studying his heart? Are we seeing the way that he loved the lost, loved the world, loved the broken, loved the self-righteous, loved the religious, loved so many? The more that his heart captures your heart, the more that you see the beauty of the way that he gave himself to you, body and soul, the more that you're going to want to share the gospel and your whole self with others. Because you know that you are not giving out of nothing, but you're giving out of the depth of the one who gave himself for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel and the way that it fills us with all that we need for life and for godliness and the way that it equips us to be lights of this world, not out of our self and our righteousness, our glory, our wisdom, but out of the beauty of our Savior. We pray that you would help us to do these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.